Hey everybody, welcome to the SoFlo Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlo Vegans, Sean Russell. Now, why are you listening to this podcast? If you live in the, in the region of South Florida and you're a vegan, then guess what? We're all about making your life easier. Our goal is to make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. And the way we do that is by going out, looking for the nonprofit organizations, the leaders, the movements, the shakers that are doing amazing things for this community. And we put a spotlight on them so you know about them. You can go out and support them and do all the wonderful things that you do as someone who loves animals, the environment, and of course, yourself. So this podcast will be going out interviewing those individuals, people who host events, people who host um, various things that involve animal rights. We'll be bringing that to you as well as news and opportunities that are out there. And all this can be found on SoFloVegans.com. Make sure you go there, check out our different sections. We have a calendar of all the vegan events that are out there. And we're adding new features daily. And um, in this episode, what can you expect in this episode? Well, you can expect an interview. Part two of our Earthling Ed interview. Part one was in the previous episode, episode one. This is now going to be the second part's never been heard before. We have videos that are out there. You will, you will not have seen or heard this information. This is the first time, so definitely check it out. And then afterwards, we'll have news, and we'll also have some upcoming events that you can check out here in South Florida. So without further ado, enjoy our part two of our Earthling Ed interview. This is Earthling Ed, and you are tuned into SoFlo Vegans. Yeah, no, there's definitely an awakening, and I think one of the powerful things that we have at our disposal are these platforms to educate people on the realities of what veganism is, and that there's many shapes and forms of it. So... I say that to talk about the more controversial side of veganism, the thought that you might have had in your head, and I know I had in my head before I became vegan, of vegan being this extreme thing, and that especially in the realm that you operate in, of, of activists being considered or called terrorists and things of that nature. So what... What is your take on that? How do you feel about those labels? Do you feel that in certain cases it's justified or is it just a misconception of the people who are on the other side of the, of the um, activism? Yeah, I mean, it's is, it is, it is something that's really important in the moment, this, this terminology. Now, as, as, as I said earlier, I, I did think veganism was extreme. Um, I don't think vegans were extremists, but I thought the notion of veganism was an extreme ideology. Like it, to me, it just didn't make any sense. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is, is a bit more sinister than that kind of way of thinking. And it's uh, and and it, this was always going to happen. There's always going to be this this backlash. I think it's really beginning to murmur because we're doing so well as a movement at the moment and progressing so quickly. There is this backlash happening, and especially in the mainstream media here in the UK, it has been, it has been an onslaught for the past couple of weeks about vegans being domestic terrorists and, and militant, and we're sending death threats, we're threatening children. You know, we're, apparently we're doing these horrible, unspeakable things. 
But the problem is it's not founded in, in any evidence that there's no proof of this happening. It is completely slanderous. And I, I think it's quite clear to me what's going on. We've been doing such a good job recently, well, for the past few years, of telling the truth, of you know speaking the truth and raising awareness. Now, these industries have operated under secrecy for, secrecy for so long. And that's what's worked in their advantage, that people simply didn't know what happened. You know, the fact that many people still don't know that cows need to give birth to produce milk is is really a credit to the secrecy of the industries themselves and the misinformation they're releasing. It's astonishing that people weren't aware of that or people aren't aware of that. Um, and if they're not aware of that, how can they possibly be aware of the fact that babies are taken off their mothers in the dairy industry? The fact that, you know, baby, you know male calves are sometimes shot, the fact that we mutilate, you know, piglets and, and chickens and all sorts. People just simply aren't aware. Now, we're showing that information, we're telling the truth. And because we're telling the truth, the farmers and the mainstream media can't argue with what we're saying. They can't discredit the information we're saying because they, it is true and it can't be denied. These, these regulations and these, these, these laws, these welfare laws are enshrined, written down in, you know, in laws or in guidelines. And they're there for everyone to see if you want to look for them. And as such, they can't be argued against. So what, what the farmers have quickly realized, as well as the mainstream media, is if they can't attack the information, they have to attack us as individuals. And because they can't discredit the information, they have to discredit who's saying the information, right? It's it, it's a really cheap tactic, and it's been used so many times in the past. And, and what they're trying to do is make the general public not trust us. Mm. And if they don't trust us, they don't trust what we're saying. Um, we, we have in the UK a lot of this perpetuation of like the notion of like humble, hardworking, poor British farmers. They're, they're struggling to make a living. They're, they're, you know, they get up at four in the morning just to make ends meet. They love their animals. And all of a sudden these violent city, you know, city goers, vegans are threatening a whole way of life. And they're trying to disturb a whole way of living. And these animal lovers are actually attacking the people who care for animals and raise animals. And that's the kind of rhetoric they're trying to put out there to make us seem untrustworthy and violent. Um, and it is it is a challenging thing. Now, I guess it's a positive thing in a sense that there's that concept of the three stages of truth, right? First they mock you, then they fight you, then you win, right? So, and I, and I really do believe that we've progressed so far past the mocking stage now, where veganism is, is very normal in many senses, and it's very common. So people can't mock it anymore because it's not a strange ideology, but, what they then do is they get angry at and they're trying to fight back and try and you know discredit us so i think we we are seeing progression made and i think this is a good sign even though it's a turbulent period of time for us to be in what's so important to know is that we have the responsibility now to disprove what the mainstream media is saying so if they're labeling us as being violent and extremists then we, we've got to be calm we've got to be peaceful we've got to be compassionate and we've got to fight for justice but do so in a way that isn't perpetuating these notions of extremism right so if they're saying that we're sending death threats then we're, well, it kind of goes about saying that we should be sending death threats and i don't and as far as i'm aware i've not seen any evidence of of, of, of vegans sending you know death threats it's interesting because i can go through my inbox on on facebook and i can find a few that i receive from farmers but at the same time it it, it, it frustrates me because i can go through my comment section and i see these death threats being said to me but the but the farmers say they're getting death threats and there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Now, obviously, I'm not saying all farmers are aligned to the farmers that send those death threats. But at the same time, I think there's a clear aggression and it's not coming from our side. But it's so important that that means that we continue being peaceful, we continue being rational and logical and calm and effective. And over time, that means that this, this notion of, of militancy and, and extremism 
won't work anymore. Um, and it'll become a narrative that's old and overused and people won't believe it. So if we keep doing what we're doing, which has been strong role models and strong activists, then over time, this whole this whole media attack and farmers attack will will disband because it, it's it's not it's not grounded in any any facts or grounded in reality. I know and lies like that can only persist for a certain amount of time. Um, and, it's, and it's difficult now, but it, it will it will stop. And, you know, we'll, we're going to move from this topic, but I do want to kind of address something you mentioned as far as the different stages. So we're mm-hmm. so right now it looks like we're coming out of the mocking stage, going into the fighting stage. So if that's yeah. the case, this is new terrain for leaders in the animal rights movement. So what advice and you you gave a lot of great advice, but specifically towards us navigating this new area what advice would you have because you do have to look at the past look at history look at other movements where they did get into this this terrain and many of them are there's very rare there's very few that have won you know i i I really maybe you can think of one or two but it's it's always in that fight stage where you have to directly appeal to the people and I think that's mm-hmm. what this um, being on the street and having the access to social media provides. But you have the corporate, and I don't want to get into whole conspiracy theories, whatever. But you have the corporations, you have evidence of other movements where you have plants, you have mm-hmm. people who are compromised. So how do speaking specifically to leaders of these movements, how do they move in a certain move in a direction and be mindful of things that could potentially occur yeah i think we it is good to look at, uh, at things that have happened in the past to other other movements whether it be civil rights lgbt rights women's rights whatever whatever social justice issue it is we should draw upon their experiences i think what works in our favor is what although i fight for the animals and, and i come from veganism from an ethical standpoint there's so many ways into veganism it could be for the environment or for the health for your health it could even be for human rights you know issues that that people will always naturally come to veganism for their own reasons and even if say they try to smear you know animal rights activists that's not going to stop people becoming vegan so i think we have that that works in our favor and what also works in our favor is is, is the community that we have now we have such a strong-knit community um, and it's global. Other social justice movements in the past were the the bulk of their fighting was happening before social media and before kind of that the ability to connect globally. What we're right in the middle of that right now. And, and as our movement's really kicking off, we're utilizing that ability to, to become a community. I mean, like what we're doing right now wouldn't have been able to happen, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And it certainly wouldn't be able to happen when, when civil rights was happening. It certainly wouldn't be able to happen when suffragettes were going on. So Right. So we have this this new kind of technology. We have this new capabilities that will help us. And because we have such a strong community, we have support from each other and we can rely on each other to help uh, and for guidance. So even though we have leaders within within the movement, it's not necessarily about those leaders. It's about all these individuals that are coming together and fighting for the same thing. And and, and with with that end goal, uh, end target in mind. Now, we're fighting for for so much, there's so much at stake. It's not just the lives of trillions of animals or indeed the lives of humans that are oppressed in animal, you know, in animal agriculture. It's the, the life of the planet itself, which fundamentally means all life. 
And we have such a, a, a huge goal to aim for that to me, there's absolutely no way that we can fail because if we keep what's at stake in mind, then we will never be able to, to be quiet or rest or be silent when we know that the future of every single living being, not just ourselves, but our children, our grandchildren, indeed all life is going to be affected unless we make changes today and tomorrow and, and every day that we can. And, and for that reason alone, I think people always have that passion inside of us, that fire inside of us to keep going, to keep fighting. And this movement is going to change. It's going to grow in so many ways and we will face opposition. And there will be difficulties from from politicians, from governments, from, from, you know, from plants, even from, from corporations and capitalist organizations that have money and have political power. But what we have is so fundamental. We just have the truth on our side and what we're fighting for is so, I, I use the word pure. I don't know if that's the right word, but I mean, it's so, I think, well, maybe pure is the, good, is the right word. It's so pure in the sense of what we're fighting for is just so simple. It's just nonviolence. Now, all social justice movements have had those themes of nonviolence, but ours is just, it's a global nonviolence towards all beings. Mm. And because it's so overarching and because it doesn't, it includes every single living being, we have so much support from all around the world and that will continue to grow. And I don't know, maybe I'm rambling a little bit, but I just, what works our advantage is, is the sheer scale of what we're fighting for and the fact that there's so many of us involved and people are becoming more and more passionate about it every single day. And in the two years that I've been active, the change I've seen, not just in terms of veganism, but in terms of vegan activism has been absolutely astonishing. There's more and more people get involved all the time. There's more and more people wanting to do something all the time and that's not going to stop and they may attack certain individuals they may you know the, the mainstream media tra- media may try and smear um leaders and they may try and smear campaign groups but that it won't change anything people are so invested in this um that they're not going to stop and regardless of what happens and speaking of not stopping regardless of what happens you have a animal rights you're involved with you helped found the animal rights march that you had in london now it's global i had the opportunity to participate in the one um in miami um during while it was happening around the globe and just to see the community come out and and have a, a common message and really turn heads in terms of things that people weren't aware of it's yeah. it, it's a powerful um, sight mm-hmm. to behold. So would you tell me a little bit more about how that came about and for people who yeah. might not know what I'm talking about, ground them in that? Yeah, so uh, the first Animal Rights March that we held was in 2016. And I don't know, it, we just felt that there needed to be a march in the UK that was on behalf of all animals. We had anti-hunting marches, we had anti-vivisection and animal testing marches, but there just needs to be something that was encompassing every animal, you know, wild animals, animals that we exploit for food and clothing, everything. Um, and so we decided to set up the official animal rights march. Um, and w- I remember that in 2016, we were absolutely amazed. There was about two and a half thousand people there. And we, and that was just, it was, it was a phenomenal thing. And we were so pleased about it. But then last year in 2017, we had 5,000 people there. And what I really like about the animal rights march is that it, it is showing a progression. And it's showing that actually people are getting more involved. There are more vegans, there are more activists, because we doubled our numbers in the space of 365 days or whatever it was. You know, we doubled our numbers and we're hoping to see this shift continue. And last year we had, as you said, it, it went more global. So we had, we had marches in, um, in Hungary and in the US, of course. And again, the participation there was, 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 was phenomenal. And in New York, they had about two and a half thousand people on the first one they did. Um, 
so the reason for the march really is, is to get people together and create that sense of community you know we are a movement that is that is made of individuals and when we are strongest is when we're fighting together and that community spirit gives people that kind of empowerment to know that we are there, there are thousands literally tens of thousands of people all in this together all the time fighting and it, it empowers people to know that they're not alone but at the same time it, it sends a very clear message to the outside world that actually animal rights is a serious issue it's something that's going to continue it's something that needs to be taken seriously and i think as, as the march progresses each and each year we're going to see that continuation of more and more participation but also people taking this more and more seriously um, and as the event becomes more global so this year not only are we in the us in the uk we're going to be in canada australia france germany the philippines taiwan it really is exploding um and and we want it to become a, a global event that's annual and, sh and signifies the fact that this community exists everywhere, in every continent, in every country. And that this ideology of, of compassion on violence is just a universal ideology and, and it applies to everyone from any walk of life, from any culture, from any religion, from any political viewpoint. We're all connected by that one idea that simply not harming others is, is the only moral way to live. Um, so the march is about empowering people. It's a celebration of what we've achieved in the year. It's a celebration of, of what we've achieved as a movement. But it's also a grounding and a reminder of everything we have to do and, and the challenges and battles that lie ahead. So that brings me to the nonprofit organization mm -hmm. that you're affiliated with, Surge Activism. Yeah. So, right. so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that was set up in June 2016. And the reason for it was... We wanted to, like a, a London-based animal rights group um, that was kind of doing on-the-street campaigning. Um, you know, we have animal rights organisations like PETA, for example, and, and Animal Equality is another one here in the UK, and Animal Aid, and a couple of others that exist in the UK who do a lot of good work. But there wasn't much on-the-street grassroots. And the, what we wanted is we wanted a, an organisation that would kind of bring together the grassroots community and form kind of... Uh, I use the word community a lot. I feel like I've been saying it a lot, but it, that's kind of what our aim was to, to form that community. Um, and that was kind of our, our main mission. It was to, you know, obviously fight on behalf of animals and, and do as much as we could to hold, you know, um, corporations and businesses to account for their exploitation of animals. But it was also to, to galvanize people and bring them together and, and create that solid platform and solid community. Uh, and that was the thinking behind it. Um, and so we, we, we do a whole range of events. We do anti-fur protesting. We do um, outreach events where we hand out free samples of vegan chocolates and plant milks and vegan cheeses and show people that, hey, you know, vegan food is delicious. Who'd have thought it, right? And, and, and it's affordable and it's accessible and it exists all around us. And just making it that bit easier for people. The Animal Rights March is another thing. And we're currently doing um, a university tour. So last year, myself and my partner made a documentary called Land of Hope and Glory, which was basically an expose of UK animal farming. Um, and we were touring around universities in the UK, um, screening the film, doing outreach with the students and kind of just, just generating conversations with students about what happens here in the UK, about the ways that we treat animals um, and kind of de debunking so many of those myths about, you know, humane slaughter and, and free range and stuff and just kind of spreading the truth as much as we can. So our main mission is to galvanize communities, but also just to spread awareness and, and hopefully teach people. Okay, and if they wanted more information on um, both the March and Surge, where could they go? 
Yeah, so um, there's a Facebook page, Surge, and also a Facebook page for the Official Animal Rights March. But we also have a website, which is um, surgeactivism.com. And there's a, a website for the Animal Rights March, which is www.theofficialanimalrightsmarch.com as well. And we'll make sure we put those on our notes on soflovegans.com. Plug. Um, so now <laughs> what I want to do is ask you some questions, and then we're going to wind it down. So... Yep. First question comes from one of our members, Francesco Barbati, and his question is, how did you handle your way of speaking with omnivores? He's truly, you're truly an inspiration to him. Oh, well, that's very, thanks, Francesco. That's, uh, that's very kind of you to say. Um, so, yeah, it was practice, and, and, and I think it's important to use the word practice when, when we talk about these things, because it will never be perfect, and, it, you know, I make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes, it's not always gonna go well. You'll have a conversation with someone and you'll, you'll feel that you didn't do as the best that you could do. Um, but the, I think what helped me was, was when I had those conversations that were difficult, I took the time to reflect on them. And I questioned, well, why did that go wrong? What is it that went wrong? How could I change it? What can I say next time to make myself better? Now I'm gonna go right back to what we said in the beginning, which is um, research and practice. Those are the two most fundamental things. I think the reason that we often get frustrated and angry is because someone will say something to us and we won't know how to respond. And when we don't know how to respond, we get frustrated that we don't know, which in turn becomes anger. Um, and I think often when people get angry, it's because they, they just, they don't know what to say and they feel like maybe they're being made to look you know, stupid or uneducated or maybe even worse, they're doing injustice to the animals and a disservice to their suffering because they're not properly talking on their behalf. So research as much as possible because then you're less likely to end up in a situation where you don't know what to respond with. Um, and that's what helps me kind of stay as, as mellow as, as, as possible. Now, as I said, look, we're all human and we all care deeply and passionately about the cause, which means that we will make mistakes and sometimes people will rile us up and ruffle our feathers, right? And and we will react in, in a way that, you know, maybe isn't always that calm. That's okay, right? It's natural. The important thing is to reflect on that and just why that happened. And next time if it does occur, we'll know what to do. Maybe it's best to step away from the conversation. Maybe it's best to, to ask, ask this question or ask that question. And it's all a process. Um, but what we have to do is we have to get out there you know, get talking to people, have those difficult conversations. That's the only way we can progress and and uh, um, and learn, I suppose. I mean, it, it, is, it is learning and it's an education. And that's what excites me about it is there's always room to grow. Um, so for me, it was just a matter of that. And if you also want to go on YouTube and, and look at like effective communication skills, there's an abundance of, of, of information on YouTube about kind of body language and how body language can, can, can mean so much to the person you're speaking to, how it can make you seem calm or aggressive or relatable if you're listening. So um, I think learn about body language, learn about, you know, techniques that kind of, you know, because how we kind of position ourselves, the tone of voice we use and the kind of demeanor we have speaks volumes to the person we're speaking to. So it's not just the words coming out of our mouth, but the way that we're acting in general. So um, I think that's another very important tool is just kind of learn about effective communication. What do you, what are your thoughts on the different types of science, science, the manipulation of um, clean meats? You know, what are your thoughts in regards to that and its potential impact on animal farming? Uh, I, I come from it from two point of views. I mean, firstly, um, if if we can get to a point where the only animal flesh that's been eaten is this clean, clean meat thing, then, oh, man, that's brilliant. Let's, that's fantastic. If that ends the 
you know, exploitation of animals, and I'm all for it. But I'm also disappointed that that's the solution that we have. It's not necessary. And the thing is, when we can survive from eating plants, we don't need to be doing these, these laboratory things. Now, obviously, morally, if there's no animal suffering, then it's a good thing. But the only issue I have is, is it still normalizes the ideology that consuming animal flesh is natural. And quite simply, it just it isn't anymore, and we shouldn't be perpetuating that myth. And I think it just speaks volumes about the arrogance and stubbornness of our species that we will wait 30 years to get clean meat rather than simply switch into a veggie burger today. So I, I said, I'm really pleased about it because I think it will change everything. But I'm just disappointed that that's what we need to change everything, if that makes sense. Um, it, it, you know, I, I definitely hear your point. And um, the next question I have kind of ties into something you just said. What is your vision for the world? Where do you see, or where, yeah, where do you see the world in your lifetime in the future yeah. with the work that you're doing? If, you know, what is an ideal vision for you for the world? I mean, I always like to be idealistic, I think. Um, it kind of keeps me going. Idealistically, right? Okay, so the, the vision I have. Okay, let's talk. Okay, let's go for the vision I want, right? This is what I, this is what I, dream of this is what I want is that when I'm you know I'm old and I'm, and I'm coming to the end of my life I'm living in a totally different world and in this world there's there's no such thing as a slaughterhouse or there is but they're now you know like a relic of our old you know violent past and there's farms are no longer there for animals they're either arable farms and plant farms are less sanctuaries for animals and you know animals are not being bred into the systems of horror and violence inherently the ideal that I, that I have and I dream of and think about is is being old and living in an, in an entirely vegan world. Now, I don't believe that's realistic. Um, so that's my ideal and that's what I'm striving for. But if I'm being realistic, I think it's very plausible to think that, that we will see, well, we will see radical change. And I, I do believe that in terms of the West, we will see things like the abolishing of, of factory farming. Um, I think this clean meat kind of venture will probably be incredibly successful. Um, and I think for sustainability reasons alone, those things will have to happen, even if it's not from an ethical point of view. Um, but I, I don't inherently believe that we'll have ended animal exploitation. I think that on many levels, people will still be hunting, maybe. Um, people will still not necessarily have the, the same mentality that we have towards the way that animals will be treated. But what I know is that there'll be such a massive change. Now, we the, the, the issue is, and this is what I struggle with, is we're making change happens so quickly but every other social justice movement is still fighting those fights you know another suffragettes you know were around 100 years ago and, and i think in the uk they got you know some women got the right to vote 100 years ago but we're not we're not there yet when it comes to women's rights and we're certainly not there when it comes to civil rights and and these campaigns and these and these movements have been around for decades now veganism in its current form is still relatively new now animal rights has been around for decades but veganism in its current form is still relatively new. And I think when I look at other social, social justice movements, and I acknowledge the progress they've made, but I ground myself with how much there is still to go. And I think the current world we're living in is, is a massive indictment of how much there is still to go. Uh, and so for me, I, I think when I get to the end of my life, there will be massive change, but there'll still be a lot to go. And for me, I, I see what I do and what other activists are doing now as, as, a, as a way of laying um, the groundwork. For, for other activists in the future to kind of push on for that vegan world. I mean, look, we have to change because the world can't sustain our current way of life. There's no way around that. We have to make drastic changes. Um, so hopefully they'll happen in time, fingers crossed. Um, but, you know, 
for me, it's about laying that groundwork and doing everything I can to achieve that world. I'd love to be in a vegan world by the end of my life. Mm. And that's what I have in my head and that's what I dream of. But I'm aware that that might not always be as achievable as I as sometimes think it are. Sometimes hope it will be. And closing on this final question, and it's a, it's a doozy of a question. <laughs> so brace yourself. Um, no, so Sofo Vegans, we're, our goal is to help South Florida become a global hotspot for veganism. Because by doing yeah. that, we can help create a model that other areas that might not already be a global hotspot or be a, a hub for vegan activity can look at and we can share and we can grow globally across the the plains and the hills and the treetops. So with that being said, you've made a, you've traveled a lot. You've gone, you know, a lot of different places. What are some places that stand out to you in terms of thriving vegan communities and not even just from a food standpoint, but from the activist standpoint, you know, what are some places that other people could maybe visit to yeah. gain, gain some inspiration? That's a good question. So I think for me, New York is, um, is incredibly um, progressive in terms of, of veganism and the number of food options is, is, is fantastic. But I think there's a, there's a good, strong core activism group there. Now, this may be a little bit biased, right? it, it, bear with me, but I, I honestly, for me, the hub of so much is in London right now and in the UK. And, and the reason why this works is because the UK is so small. And what, what that means is we can all work together from different cities now and all the major cities in the uk are all five hours driving distance you know so we have that ability to come together and and, and work together on big campaigns and so if you if you want to get involved in some good activism i think the uk is a really strong thing we've got save movements everywhere we've got anonymous the voice this is everywhere there's so many strong outreach groups and, and, and direct action groups um that, that i that i really think that it is it is very progressive in terms of grassroots activism um now, in Europe, what, I, what I'm really pleased about is the this, this shift that's happening. Now, I was in Hungary in early December, and Hungary is, is not somewhere where you'd think that there'd be much veganism, and, and definitely not somewhere you'd think there'd be much activism. But what I was so incredibly pleased to see was actually that there was a community that was growing, and it was growing very, very recently, and it was quite a new thing. And this is what I've started to see across a lot of Europe, especially places in Eastern Europe, is, is there's that kind of that grassroots scene is building. So I, I think in terms of places to, to visit and go, for me, America and Canada and the UK are definitely the top in terms of the size of it and the scale of what's happening. But in terms of kind of seeing like from the ground up going on, places like Spain, um, Hungary, um, are showing a, a lot of promise. Um, and... I'm excited to see where they're going to end up in these kind of traditionally more heavy meeting team kind of Catholic or religious, perhaps kind of backgrounds. You know, the UK is quite secular and we've been, you know, historically slightly more progressive. And it makes sense that veganism would would kind of be blossoming quite strongly here. Um, but I'm, what I'm particularly pleased about is these places where you wouldn't imagine veganism to be and seeing it really blossom is um, it's a beautiful thing to behold. So um, if you come to London. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for all of your insight, you sharing your history and your story with other people, because that's how we learn. That's, you know, through actual examples of people, you know, going through their process. 
and yeah. and hearing that you can go from being a twelve year old boy, um, you know, <laughs> making fun of the vegetarian, not well, not purposefully, but you know, um, to you know, being where you are right now, lets people know that hey, you know what, I ha- I have an opportunity to learn, to arm yeah. myself with the knowledge, and then live a life of compassion, kindness, and be in service to all beings. So right. with that being said, nice. thank you so much for being on the sh- being on uh, our first episode of the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> um, do my Oprah. <laughs> um, and and any final remarks, anything where we can um, check you out, um, anything that's coming up that you want to let the people know about? So, yeah. So, um, the, the social media is the best place. So I've got Instagram, um, Facebook and YouTube all leveling out if you want to check out some of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and I, so I will be in the US um, at the Berkeley Animal Liberation Conference um, and doing some things in the US around that time. So I, I will be doing a lot more traveling this year and I'm really looking forward to kind of to get, meet people that way. Not necessarily relevant, but, but I just kind of want to say right at the end uh, um, is, you know, I think that we get to that point now where we, we all have an obligation to, to do what we can to progress this movement and to speak up on behalf of the animals and have those difficult conversations that maybe we want to avoid. But there's but we should all feel empowered to know that we we each and every one of us has the capacity and the ability to make such a profound and radical change to the lives of, of every single living being on this planet. And when we acknowledge the power that we have as individuals, it's incredibly empowering to do that and to notice that actually I me, you, whoever it is, have the ability to go out there and change the mind of someone and influence them to, to live a more compassionate life. So I just employ anyone who's listening, who's interested in getting active, interested in whatever it is, you know, relate to veganism, to just get involved and do your bit because you'll feel so good for it. Um, and don't feel nervous, it's natural. Confidence will come as you progress and you do more and more. All right, and we're back. I'm Sean Russell. Still, <laughs> and now we're going into news. We have some really cool news, and guess what? Starbucks is jumping up at the head of the vegan table, and they and they, we actually have them two times in the news this week. Starbucks is adding a vegan. Well, actually, they're adding the vegan coconut latte to its permanent menu. And I got this news off of Veg News. Definitely check them out. They are taking the vegan iced vanilla bean coconut milk latte, and they're making it a permanent item in stores across the nation. Now, the way they make this is by shaking dairy-free vanilla powder and coconut milk together before adding it to a shot of espresso, or rather adding a shot of espresso on top. And it seems like they've been making a lot of En-ROADS to incorporate more vegan items to their menu. I know I've been to a couple of Starbucks and it's been refreshing to know I can enjoy their almond milk in my in my lattes, which seems to be pretty common. I've I don't think I've any any place I've been to that doesn't have almond milk lattes. Although I do go to a lot of hipster coffee houses, so that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. And they actually introduced almond milk to their menu in 2016, so uh, looks like they're doing some cool things. And speaking of doing some cool things, Starbucks is also planning to eliminate plastic straws by 2020. Now, they estimate more than 1 billion plastic straws will be removed per year for more than 28,000 stores. Now, these recyclable strawless lids are made with polypropylene, 
polypropylene, polypropylene, reading, as designed by Starbucks Global Research and Development Engineer, Emily Alexander. So this is going to launch in their, of course, their Seattle and Seattle stores, as well as Vancouver, British Columbia. Those will be the first to introduce the recyclable lids, and other stores will follow in 2020. In 2016, the World Wildlife Fund, also known as the WWF, <laughs> they, they won the lawsuit, issued a warning that it's predicted that fish would be extinct by 2048, and this is actually not a, a laughing matter. Fish will be extinct by 2048 if current plastic pollution and fish consumption practices continue. So I'm putting it out there. I'm declaring that other businesses around the globe will take, follow suit and, and go ahead and take this on as well. And, you know, everyone wants someone else to go first. So Starbucks, hats off to you for putting this out there. Now, talking about other big chains that, you know, depending on what day of the week it is, they're either your friend or your enemy. Costco, they're ditching hot dogs for plant-based options. Not all their hot dogs, but the Polish hot dog, which I hear from meat eaters is a popular item. They are removing that from stores nationwide to make room for plant-based options. Now, this is going to make room for items such as the acai bowl, the vegan acai bowl, the al pastor salad, and... You know, check out one of your local Costco and see what options they have available, um, some vegan food. And um, once again, I, I should double check to see what their other practices are. But, you know, having vegan options it may not be for you, but it'll, it'll be able to introduce people to just the idea of vegan food, not being lettuce and carrots. And that's not a bad thing. Of course, lettuce and carrots aren't bad, but when I went vegan, or when I was thinking about going vegan, that was what held me back. Like, oh, I don't really like lettuce and, and, and things like that, so let me not go vegan. But there's a lot of options out there. <laughs> um, also in the news, animal rights documentary Dominion is going to be available pretty soon. By the time you're listening to this, it's probably actually it's going to be out and ready for you to download and rent and eventually make its way to Netflix. And the official date is July 13th. So you can go to watch.dominionmovement.com to check it out. It's 99 cents to rent it for 72 hours, or you can buy it for the low, low cost of $4.95. Yes, right, ladies and gentlemen, $4.95. This is a follow-up documentary to the 2014 Australian um, documentary, for lack of better words, Lucent. And this is narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. So you might be saying, hey, that sounds familiar. I think I watched another vegan documentary narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin, Joaquin, Joaquin. And uh, this is being regarded as Australia's version of the acclaimed documentary, Earthlings. Yeah, that's right. I was alluding to that earlier. So, so hopefully it gets on Netflix. Not hopefully, it will be on Netflix. I'm putting that out there again, um, declaring it. And more people will get access to these fine documentaries. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. 
documentaries rule the world. And uh, speaking of an individual that is tied to vegan documentaries, actor Leonardo DiCaprio is actually invested an undisclosed amount into the vegan brand Khalifa Farms. Now, if you're not familiar with Khalifa Farms, I've been a longtime fan of theirs. Um, Even before they were Carrigan, Carrigan, before they had the cancer-causing thing, or not cancer-causing, I think it's it's milk-based or whatever. Carrigan, Carrigan, whatever. You get what I'm saying. I love you. (laughs) Um, What was I saying? Oh, yeah, so... He's invested in Khalifa Farms, and I, they're my favorite milk by, by leaps and bounds. I love their product. I even reached out to them one time, and they gave me like a whole bunch of free coupons, and I lost every single one of them. So really cool people. And so um, he also invested last year into Beyond Meat. Now, it's, you know, there's been rumors going around that he's not vegan or 100% plant-based. That's not been confirmed, but you do have to give it to him that he is one of the few people out there consistently fighting for fighting against the negative environmental impacts of animal agriculture. So keep on doing what you're doing, and um, you know we'll we'll throw a party the day you officially come out as vegan. It's only a matter of time, folks. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> And we're back! That's right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still Sean Russell, and then <laughs> the news, local news, we have an event coming up, SoFlo Vegans, we are going to be hosting our EAT event, SoFlo Vegans Eat, <laughs> we have other events called SoFlo Vegans Drink, SoFlo Vegans Unite, you get the gist, but in the SoFlo, SoFlo Vegans Eat event will be held... This Saturday, if you know when you're listening to this, just your just your dates accordingly. The fourteenth of July will be hosting at the Indian Harbor. So you can stop on by. Tickets cost thirty dollars. It's going to be a lot of food. The owner, Anil, has been more than generous with his portions. It's gonna be family style. You'll have three options options to choose from in each course. So there's appetizers, the entree, dessert. If you go to soflovegans.com slash eat, you get to see all of the wonderful food that's going to be on the menu. If you dig delicious vegan Indian food, and this restaurant has been recommended to us by multiple people. That's why we decided to do the event. Um, Check it out. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. And if you did manage to go, and you're listening to this post the 14th. we love to hear your experience. Post in the comments on the uh, events page, on the podcast page, and uh, let us know what you thought. And uh, what else? We have vegan wristbands. So if you haven't seen the vegan wristbands inspired by the vegan flag, which was adopted last year, I want to say June 19th, or June 9th, actually, 2017, you know, we created these wristbands to help spread awareness of the vegan movement around the globe. So you can get one for your very, for yourself <laughs> by going to our shop. That's soflovegans.com slash shop. Purchase one of these cool wristbands. Buy it for a friend. 
makes a great stocking stuffer. <laughs> and um, we're selling those for $10, so check that out. And it was created, actually, the great vegan flag. And I'm going to try to get, um, get them on the podcast by God Hakimi. And, you know, pardon me if I said it incorrectly. And uh, he is an Israeli graphic designer, both him and a, a group of graphic designers from across the world put this together to help unite all the different groups and organizations behind animal rights under one flag. So you're going to start seeing it more and more. And uh, we appreciate them for creating the flag so we could create these amazing wristbands. So check those out. And then finally, we have our discount card program. So our discount card program, um, I created this program so we could help local businesses and vendors get additional foot traffic. And I didn't want it just to be something that's done online. I wanted to encourage people to go out to stores and support small businesses. That's the main idea behind it. Um, you know, we can do the videos, we can host the events, but ultimately if the businesses aren't operating, they're not generating any revenue, then they're going to close and it's going to go against our mission of helping make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. So what we are doing until the end of July is we are going to be offering business, our business partners, free registration. Um, and that's twofold. One, it's, you know, cutting them a break on what the cost will be after July to be part of this program. And at the same time, building up the amount of partners that we have. So when you go to buy your card, you actually can cash it in and get cool discounts. Right now we have restaurants like Full Bloom, Green Bar and Kitchen, the Indian Harbor, they're offering pretty cool discounts. We have brands like um, Clean Machine. We have Fit and, Fit and Fresh Concessions. There's a, a list of, a growing list of partners that you can check out on soflowvegans.com slash card. You could also purchase the card online. It's normally, we're normally going to be selling it for 25 bucks um, once it's fresh. So like in September, we'll be selling the 2019 cards. Right now we're still selling 2018 cards. So we were selling it for 10 bucks because it's the more than half the year is over. But what we're going to do until the end of July, is you definitely want to re, uh, introduce this to the public and we want you to be happy so you can start spending it. We're going to be um, slashing the price to $5 just until the end of July for you to get a card. It's an actual plastic card that you can take with you to stores and then show them, hey, I want a discount. And they say, oh, I know what this is. And they'll give you the discount. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so definitely check that out. SoFloVegans.com slash card. And if you have any questions, you can always email me, Sean. Well, email me at srussell at SoFloVegans.com. So what's next on the Soul Flow Vegan podcast? What can you expect in episode three? Well, in episode three, you will hear our interview with PETA co-founder and president Ingrid Newkirk. She speaks to us about her, you know, just where the animal rights movement is right now, um, you, know, what she, you know, what she goes through as you know, being part of PETA, the good and the bad, and just overall, it was a great experience being able to, you know, sit down with her and ask her a few questions on behalf of our community. And we did this interview when she was down here not too long ago at the Broward 
Center for the Performing Arts. Before she went on, we were able to do an interview with her. So thank, I want to thank her, and I also thank the PETA organization for accommodating us. So we'll get to see that. We'll also kick off our vegan spotlight series. We'll look at a local business or an influencer or someone who's making moves in the South Florida vegan community. We'll present an interview on our podcast as well as the news, contest, and a whole lot more. So if you want to support SoFlo Vegans and see the different ways you can do that, it could be as simple as subscribing to us on YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. You can go to soflovegans.com slash connected, and then you can see all the ways that you can support us. It's all on one page, and you, you know, spend five minutes, and we'll greatly appreciate it, and then share the link. And, of course, you get all the show notes for this podcast, everything I mentioned, links, descriptions, all will be available at soflovegans.com slash podcast. I'll say that one more time. Soflovegans.com slash podcast. Yeah, so we look forward to um, having you join us next time. Leave a review. Let us know what you think. Leave it in the comment section or, you know, just continue listening and supporting the South Florida vegan movement. I'll see you next time.